This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and you're listening to a brand new season of Next Question. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm starting this season, our fifth, if you can believe it, with a bang. Jessica Chastain is not only one of the most talented actors working in Hollywood today, she's also an outspoken advocate for gender equality, who's making films and choosing roles that put women and equal pay front and center. She's also up for her second Oscar nomination. Are you sure? For her truly transformative role as Tammy Faye Baker. Have you never done pictures without those eyelashes? Nope, nope, and I never will, because that's my trademark. And, you know, if I take that away, then it's not me. We're going to get to all of that and more. But first, we start with Al Pacino. Don't worry, it makes sense. When I was interviewing Al Pacino on 60 Minutes, he took me through his production company or we were walking through an edit room and he showed me a video of you dancing in one of your earliest (laughs) films and you were dancing with your head back and spinning around and you had this beautiful red hair (laughs) and he said, this girl is going to be a huge star. How funny is that? It's insane. I mean, Al Pacino was actually the one who really discovered me. Before I got cast as Salome, I mean, the industry had no idea what to do with me. And he was the one that really kind of was like, hey, you guys look over here. And so it really started my career. Really? How did he how did he find you? I know you were you studied at Juilliard, but um, how did you cross paths with Al Pacino of all people? (laughs) Well, I was. Um, 
Yeah, I went to Juilliard and I was doing a play off Broadway. I did a, at Playwrights Horizons, a Richard Nelson play called Rodney's Wife. And I'd done that, not thought much about it. It wasn't like I made a ton of money doing it or anything like that. I was do, doing it just for like the love, you know, to get to do theater in New York. And then I went to visit a friend of mine um, in Australia and I got a call from my agent that said, Al Pacino wants you to come in and audition for Salome. I was like, what? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know anyone connected to Al Pacino. And I guess what had happened is Marta Keller, who um, is a good friend of his, uh, an actress who, um, the what's it, the Bobby Deerfield movie? Or, or you know, where he plays the race car driver. I forgot the name of that film they did together. But she saw Rodney's wife and um, and then told him when he, when he said he was going to do you know, the movie of Salome, she said, oh, you should look at this actress. Wow. And that's really, you think, what started it all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know. Even like, you know, I was having so many difficulties getting an audition for films. I was really good at pilot season, not really booking anything, but I was getting a ton of auditions (laughs) during pilot season. And I remember recently reading, um, an article like backstage where a casting director was talking about her experience. And in the article, she said, I remember Jessica Chastain coming in and she had like four auditions that day and she looked kind of messy and sweaty. I was like, Oh God, (laughs) that's probably why I didn't book anything. (laughs) It was constantly like I was driving everywhere, you know, I had like a whole like makeup station in the trunk of my car, depending on what the character was. Um, but no luck. And then when I'm, you know, if you're an unknown actor and you're playing Salome in the play Salome opposite Al Pacino in Los Angeles, everyone in the industry comes to see it. So it, I could not have had a better showcase. That's such a great story. So what year was that, Jessica? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so The Tree of Life came out in 2011. I made Tree of Life in 2007. I don't know, 2005 or 2006 maybe, is when we did the play. Because Al also, when I was auditioning for The Tree of Life, wrote Terrence Malick a letter um, that said, like, basically, you know, I know sometimes it's when you don't know who you're casting as a lead, it can be intimidating. But I've worked with her, and um, he kind of vouched for me. That was my reference letter, Al Pacino. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, I mean, do you still talk to Al now that we're on a first-name basis? Yeah. Completely. I, you know, he's my acting godfather. Call him on his birthday. Like, he's great. I love, I love him. He will always be such a huge part of my career. I mean, he's the reason why I have a career right now. So yes, hundred percent. He's, I, I love him. And I, one of my favorite movies is Son of a Woman. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order. I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is. And uh, uh, I'm such I'm I, I love Al Pacino, too. And it's nice to hear yeah. how generous he is and how supportive he's always been to you and protective. Yeah, really? Yeah. Like in an industry, you know, he knew he knew the ropes really well. And he was incredibly protective of me um, coming into the industry and like really made sure that I always even like in Salome, you're playing a character that's so sexualized it, even as it was um, starting out, it was never like, oh, you have to do nudity. It was like whatever I was comfortable with. He had always been like, that's why I call him my, my acting godfather. He had always been so kind and protective and nurturing. And so, yeah, 
in addition to being a brilliant actor, like one of our greatest screen actors, he's he's a he's a wonderful person. We're going to have to send him a copy of this podcast since we're singing his praises so much. When we come back, how Jessica Chastain took control of her career. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You are kind of taking control of your own destiny because you started your own company in 2016, Freckle Films, after making this incredibly impassioned speech, Jessica, at the 2015 Critics' Choice Awards. Today's Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. So, it got me thinking about our need to build the strength of diversity in our industry. And to stand together against homophobic, sexist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, and racist agendas. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And I would like to encourage everyone in this room to please speak up. Thank you. How did that speech inspire you to branch out and to do this on your own and to really take control of your fate? Well, honestly, I wasn't really, I didn't really know what to do. I, I at the Critics' Choice, I won this kind of, it was the first ever prize. It was for someone's body of work that year, and I had so much come out. 
I didn't really know who to thank because I had multiple films that were being celebrated. And it was like the morning of, um, I loved Selma. I love Ava DuVernay. And I felt like, you know, I was sad that that film didn't get acknowledged in the way that it should have been. And so I just felt like, well, what if I can take this moment that I have to kind of inspire um, us to like look inward um, and, and understand that if we're not actually making, if we're not actively trying to move the needle in terms of inclusivity, then in some sense, we're part of the problem. So I, I just kind of took that moment to look, well, maybe I can take this platform and amplify that. Um, and I was super happy because at the end of it, I, someone showed me later, it was like cut to Oprah and Ava. <laughs> and I was really happy. Like the fact that they, I don't know. I just really, I grew up watching Oprah and, and I, I was just, I loved that moment. And I, and I then went forward to go like, okay, well, how can I now use whatever platform I have to help encourage our industry to move the needle in terms of um, stories about women? And in fact, Freckle Films has produced three movies, including The Eyes of Tammy Faye um, and The 355, which is an all-female espionage thriller that came out this year. How does it feel different for you to be at the helm of these films versus other experiences when you weren't? Well, I guess the big difference is I get to participate in the storytelling aspect. So like with Tammy Faye, we had already had so much in her life, like that was kind of tabloidy. Um, and I remember in my research reading about Jessica Hahn and her saying she just kind of wanted to not, she wanted to be left alone and not connected to Jim Baker anymore into that um, part of her life. And when I read that, I thought, well, if we're making a story from Tammy Faye's POV and Tammy and Jessica actually never met in real life, why would we include the salacious details of Jessica Hahn, especially when she doesn't really want to be included and in, 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 in reminded. I didn't want to profit of, off of another woman's trauma. So I guess in terms of storytelling, you can kind of shape a story and go, no, we're actually going to, the audience and everyone expects us to tell one story, but I'm not going to fall into that. That's, we've already been there. We've already, um, you know, focused on that salacious gossipy stuff let's what if we do something else that we don't expect and so i guess producing you get to have that say you have been obsessed with tammy faye baker for for quite a while haven't you what is it yeah. about her and about her story that felt so compelling to you jessica well you know i was on the press tour for zero dark 30 and talking about that film a lot and when when i saw the documentary again you know i was jet lagged somewhere and I guess I focused so, so much on playing a character who was very an eye for an eye. You know, so much was about revenge and you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to hurt you worse. And, it, you know, it felt like when I was watching the documentary, it was like this healing balm. <laughs> it was such a different thing that Tammy Faye stood for. She was really into uh, forgiveness and um, believing that everyone is deserving of love without judgment, which is like kind of like it's a beautiful radical act of love if that's truly how you can live. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I just felt like something I wanted to tell 
just because of what I had already spent time focusing on. Uh, and then also I wanted to go back and celebrate her for the incredible things she did. I mean, 1985, the Steve Peters interview, her bringing him onto her show, he was an openly gay minister with AIDS. And she, it went it completely went against the, all the conservative evangelicals of the time. I mean, politicians weren't even talking about the AIDS epidemic. And she brings uh, Steve onto her show and she looks into the camera and she reminds Christians what it means to be Christian. And you wrap your arms around people and you love through anything. And I just found that so moving and such a radical act of love. And it was a political act in some sense. And she was never acknowledged for that. That was incredibly strong and brave and right of her to do that. And so I wanted to celebrate um, that act of courage. Tammy Faye was really caricatured in the media and and became almost cartoonish in her portrayal. <laughs> I remember, you know, covering her in the 90s, Jessica, and I, I had one of those shirts that said, I ran into Tammy Faye Baker at the mall or Tammy Faye at the mall that had mm -hmm. two big mascara stains on it. And um, she was really, I think, underestimated and mischaracterized because of the way she presented herself, wasn't she? Absolutely. I mean, that's something the media really does, though, right? I mean, that's something society does. And society, women in the past have been taught to be as small as possible, to take up as little space as possible. Your voices have to be quiet, be thin, be demure, you know, be submissive. Don't, you know, don't talk to, don't take up too much space talking. Let the men do things. You know, it's all about being as quiet and small as possible. And she was the opposite. She was like, you know, going to sing as loud as she could. She was going to laugh and cry and let her emotions be everywhere and wear makeup. That was just what society could say was garish, but she was, she was saying, this is my expression of how I feel. It was like, a, this, it was like drag, you know? She was expressing how she felt on the inside, on the outside. So much so that when people kept trying to change who she was, she tattooed her face. So no one could really like, no one could wipe her makeup off. No one could change Tammy Faye. And um, I think she was mischaracterized because of that. I think it was because she refused to play the role of the quiet, submissive minister's wife. She was a minister in her own right. She went to school for it. She ministered. And she was her own person separate from Jim Baker. Did you have assumptions about her that were, that were shattered by the documentary? Because you probably consumed information about her and read about her and saw her in the way she was portrayed by the media. So what shattered those assumptions? Was it the documentary or was it doing research for this film? Tell me how your perception of Tammy Faye really shifted. I absolutely had assumptions about her. I mean, the church lady on SNL bringing Tammy Faye, like the Tammy Faye on. Tammy, we have a bit of goop on our face. Oh, I'm sorry. That's mascara. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Or Tammy Faye on the Drew Carey show. It was like playing up the joke, like what you say, that T-shirt. I mean, she would hold the T-shirt and laugh. She loved camp. She loved... Um, making people smile and laugh. So she, in some sense, was like, okay to be in on the joke, to be like the butt of the joke. 
I still think it hurt her probably. Um, my assumptions were what I read on the tabloids. You know, she was for me as a child an example of what I didn't want to be. Um, I didn't want to be someone who society deemed was unattractive, you know, because of like how they, you know, or a thief. Like all of these things that the media had put on her, that's what I assumed. And then definitely, even like the mask, this is crazy, the mascara running down her face. There are so many people that I've talked to about this film. And they go, oh, I remember sitting in my room and watching an interview with, she's crying and there's mascara running down her face. And I always go like, are you sure that happened? Because the, re or, or are you remembering a comedy sketch where mascara is running down the face? Because the reality is I watched everything I could get my hands on. There's not one photograph or one video of Tammy Faye with mascara running down her face. But we all have this collective memory of who she was based on satire and tabloids. And we see that as, we saw that as truth. And so I guess that's it. Like reading all of her books, watching, you know, I had seven years to uh, research her and, the, and prepare for the character so it really very quickly um, got rid of any misconceptions that I, in, in, in misinterpretations that I had. Do you admire her when all is said and done? Or do you see her as a flawed person? I mean, after all, they did, uh, you know, live high on the hog, as they would say, with contributions to the church and, yeah. you know, did a lot of things that aren't particularly admirable. I'm just curious how you feel about her now that you know her intimately. Yeah. Well, I love her now. I mean, I've never met her. I love her. And I can tell you for me personally, I don't believe in the prosperity doctrine. I don't believe, I think money always corrupts. I think this idea, but it's in every religion. I mean, look at the Vatican. Money is so closely tied to faith. And I think that's absolutely an issue. Every Sunday we pass the plate around um, to donate. I think with televangelism, it's, your congregation is, is now like so many people, the money just becomes more, it's, it's more intense, but it's, it's, still this, every, it's still the root of money corrupts. And so when money is closely tied with faith, is that a pure thing? I like look back at everything that happened. I don't think she ever lied to the public. I think she was not very intelligent when it came to money because she wrote four books and she recorded over 20 albums. All of her royalties went straight to the church. And then she took her salary from the church. And in the reality, what she should have done is kept all of her royalties and then take nothing from the church. And I think that would have given her a better perception from the public. It's heartbreaking at the beginning of the film, Jessica, to see how she was otherized uh, from the very beginning, having been born to a mom before she was married and made to feel different than her siblings. It was heartbreaking. And yet she was able to overcome that with this incredible inner strength. And maybe because of that, she developed this incredible inner strength. But where do you think that came from? I don't think, she, you know, it's interesting. I don't think she was confident. I think she played that she was confident. I think, you know, she was an empath 
And she had a very like um, unstable childhood. You know, the father left and then she became the embodiment of the shame of the first marriage in this Pentecostal community. And I think, you know, with an empath, what they do is they walk into a room and they find the dark energy because they try to fix it. They try to like if someone's suffering, they want to fix them. They want to make them feel better. And so I think her confidence comes or what looks like confidence is is more of her trying to heal because she felt that by healing someone who felt unloved, she could heal herself. After the break, Jessica does her best Tammy Faye, and we talk about what progress women have made in some areas is quickly unraveling in others. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You spent hours upon hours in the makeup chair, didn't you? And it took a pretty serious toll on you. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the first, I mean, the longest it was, was seven and a half hours. And the shortest might have been three and a half four. So every day it was quite a journey. I mean, I would wear compression stockings because after a few days I started to get nervous. You know, when you sit still, I don't know how people say they can sleep in the makeup trailer. I cannot, <laughs> you know, when someone's touching my face, I'm like, okay, look this way, look that way, look up, down. I had earbuds in and I would watch, um, the hundred, I had hundreds of hours of unused footage that the documentary filmmakers gave me for research I was constantly every morning in the makeup trailer 
studying her, studying her voice, watching her interviews. So by the time I got to set, I felt like ready I, and like really keyed in. Did you watch her final interview? I think with Larry King when she was, she was, yeah. I think, dying of colon cancer at the time. She died a few days after that interview. Did you watch that? Because obviously the film doesn't cover that. Yeah. I mean, we thought like, are we going to cover that part of her life? Um, and ultimately, like there was a scene in the documentary that I found so incredibly moving um, where she goes back to do a, a concert and she's really scared and it's a the religious community. And, you know, there was a woman who was kind of mean to her and then or like saying mean things about her. And and then she walked up to this woman, not even knowing that that there was this behind her back happening. She's like, hi, honey, how you doing today? And like reached out to her. And then this woman was like in the front row, like clapping for the concert. I just thought it was so beautiful, like switching the energy around. Like you can be getting something negative and just like that usually means that someone needs some love. So if you return that with love, it completely changes their demeanor. And I liked that ending for her. I didn't, um, I didn't want to really go into the cancer and her, you know, physical ailments that came after. I really, to me, wanted to connect to her faith and her relationship with love. Um, cause I thought that, that would be the most healing. And especially, you know, at the end, the whole speech of like, God looked at me and said, Tammy, I love you. And I love you just the way you are. And God loves you just the way you are. That's actually something she said in one of her performances. And I wanted to end with that. I wanted the audience to feel connected to humanity in a different way. And, and I felt like if we had gone, at, um, you know, the route of her physical ailments, it would have taken away from that. You know, the role makeup played in her life obviously looms large in this film as well. And there's a very touching moment after she almost accidentally overdoses on some prescription meds. She catches herself in the mirror and she sits down and she puts on lipstick. She's interrupted by Jim and she says, Jim, can we talk about Satan later? I'm just <laughs> starting to feel like myself. Um, tell us about that moment. It, it, it kind of illustrates Tammy Faye's, I don't know, happy place or comfort zone um, and the role that that this played in in her whole being. Yeah, I think, you know, we started that scene. We, we had to cut it out because we we, it was too expensive. But her favorite song was Que Sera Sera. So I was like humming it, getting my Diet Coke. It was like she loved her Diet Coke, sing Que Sera Sera. But then there is the moment she looks in the mirror and still is like, oof. after like even a full face of makeup, she feels like, I'm not there yet. I'm not I'm not feeling like at my utmost. So she sits down to put more on. Uh, and then Jim coming in with his energy. I think it's the first time we see Tammy have a boundary. You know, so much of the film is this codependence where she's taking care of Jim. She's trying to lift him up and like and make him feel like more of a man and and all of these things that he needs to be. And beginning of that scene, she's like, I'm hanging on by a thread here. Let's can we talk about Satan and what you're going through later and just like give me this moment. And I and I like that because I think also we as women need to do that more. <laughs> just say whenever like we need our moment, just say, let's talk about Satan later. <laughs> There's also a great scene where she plops herself down at the men's table 
with a baby on her hip. And, you know, that was kind of a radical act back then where she didn't go to talk about, you know, female things with all the women. And and a lot of this is about the patriarchy of the evangelical movement, too, which wasn't obviously uh, limited to the evangelical movement at the time. But she just wanted to kind of crash through those doors, didn't she? Yeah. And I think for her, she never even saw it as a door. I think, you know, she went to college and she was a minister. And when you know, right when her and Jim got married, Jim actually stopped showing up to study and their teacher showed up and said, listen, dude, your wife is going to be like, she's going to be the star of the family. Like you got to like show up and, and apply yourself because I think she always had that drive. She always wanted to connect to people through faith. And when she you know, sees all like the Falwell and Pat Robertson and, and all of them at the table talking about the state of faith in the United States. I think that's far more interesting to her at that time than like, I don't know, like what the kids are eating or what, you know, like what what's happening. Yeah. Um, she wanted to talk about work and, you know, and God. Oh, I don't want to debate you, Jerry. I love you. I love all of you guys. R- R- Reverend Falwell. We love you too, Tammy Faye. <laughs> yes, we do. God is my witness. I made a pledge to continue to expose the sins in this country. The Bible explicitly forbids homosexuality. There's no gray area. Um, well, you know, I, I, I don't think of them as homosexuals. I just think of them as other human beings that I love. You know, we're all just people made out of the same old dirt. And God didn't make any junk. <laughs> I love that moment, too, because you really see the different forks of the road that faith can take. And, you know, there's like the Tammy phase way of, you know, everyone is deserving of God's love without judgment. And then there's the Jerry Falwell way. And sadly, when I look at this country, I kind of see, I wonder what would have happened if Tammy Faye hadn't been um, taken down from the scandals of her husband. And if we had we had known that faith can be all-encompassing and include everyone and to have a more soft approach to that than this like hard line of um, if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong or God is on my side. God this, God believes that. He, you're wrong. I'm right. I feel like we're kind of in that phase right now, which is the Jerry Falwell um, way. It also made me wonder, what if Tammy Faye had emerged as a national figure now versus when she did? And have things evolved enough that she could have been as prominent as her husband uh, publicly, right? If she wouldn't have had to retreat so much behind him. Absolutely. I mean, even if you look at her life right after she left, uh, Jim. I mean, she hosted a show with Jim J. Bullock, who was like an openly gay comedian. Um, she was on The Surreal Life. Like, she she did a lot of things. She was absolutely a celebrity in the public eye, and she wasn't hiding or or she wasn't in the shadow of any man. I think, had she emerged now, um, what would have been so beautiful about her is she was someone because she knew what it was like to feel unloved or unacknowledged or cast 
aside and cast out, she would have looked to any group in society that felt that and she would have connected with them and been like um, the healing balm that they needed to feel part of something bigger than who they are. So I think, you know, in any time, it's wonderful to have someone who represents that. You know, so much of her life, she was mocked and and ridiculed and shamed. And I think in retrospect, it says much more about society than it does about Tammy Faye and how we treat certain women who become a caricature uh, of, of themselves. And I imagine that's something you wanted to address in this re-examination of Tammy Faye. A hundred percent. I'm very interested in, in how the media perceives women, whether it be like uh, p- political candidates, like what do they say regarding female um, politicians versus male politicians, um, you know, people working in the media, news anchors, you know, what are the standards for each person? And in terms of like the voices, the clothing, um, you know, even like recently, who was it? Like Taylor Swift came out and started talking about the difference between you know, she's her being a female songwriter and male songwriters. And there's this, this sense in the media that if you're as confident and you acknowledge your talent, in some sense, you are um, beyond your station as a woman. Like, it's like, know your place. Like, you're lucky to get to do this. And so thank the people around you who gave you the chance. Instead of saying, actually, no, like, you're welcome. You know, like you thank me. Preach, woman. Preach. (laughs) You thank me. Like Shonda Rhimes has that great quote when she said, you know, all the um, the articles came out about like Netflix and her deal. And it was almost like they lured her to Netflix with all this money. And she goes, no, no, no. I am the candy. (laughs) I'm not being lured by candy by someone else. I'm the candy that you guys want. And it's that idea that we need to understand and society also needs to look at like women don't need to be um, giving thanks for everything they get. The reality is society needs to start thanking women for everything they give. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to make a pillow with that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Um, I have to ask you about the voice because it was uncanny. And I want you to do Tammy Faye's voice for me a little Ah. bit. I mean, and how you kind of used your throat and your, you know, nasally. And how did you do that? Because it was spot on. Oh, thanks. Oh, God, that was, it's not, it was not an accent that came easy to me. I worked with Liz Hemelstein, who's an amazing dialect coach. And um, first we started just, you know, with the drills for the Minnesota accent. Everyone thinks Tammy was from the South. She wasn't. She was from International Falls, Minnesota, which, you know, gave her a, 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 a very folksy way of talking. And also I realized by watching so many interviews, the way she said, Jim, that was my way in all the time. Jim, am, you know, it was Jim. so cute. Jim. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, and, and as she talked in my voice, my voice is much lower. Liz would always try to get it up. So I do these drills. I did the Steve Peters interview every morning. Um, I did it kind of as a monologue to get me into character. You know, we're live from L.A. <laughs> like every, the way she talked. I just loved her voice. And I tell you, when when it finished, I it took me a long time to stop speaking like her because I just wanted it, I just wanted to talk. It's just the cutest <laughs> way of talking. 
And and also the like the, how she would do like her shoulders. And what about her laugh? What about her laugh, Jessica? <laughs> you two are here to learn the ways of the Lord. Oh my God, her laugh and her smile. There was so much that I just studied, studied, studied. Like when she smiles, I smile like with both my teeth. Like I have a big smile. She smiled. She only lifted her top lip. So it was like, like, like you only saw these teeth here. It took forever, like listening to her laugh and listening to her voice and looking at myself in the mirror and trying to figure out how to smile like her. I, but I loved it. I mean, listen, if I'm going to spend seven years studying someone, I want them to be like Tammy Faye, someone who makes me feel good about like loving others and also makes me laugh. She loved camp. So and she loved to laugh. And so she was ridiculous. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Before we go, I wanted to ask you about, you have been such a champion for gender equality. And I wondered if you think things have changed because I know you are walking the walk. You negotiated equal salaries for, for fellow actors like Octavia Spencer. Do you think things are changing in Hollywood, Jessica? Uh, I definitely think things are changing, which is great. It doesn't mean that they're like fixed, right? Change, everything should always be changing. Everything should always be in motion and fluid and evolving and growing. And But I look at the industry. This is what it's shocking to understand. I've only been in the industry 10 years. And the change from when I started to what I see now is monumental. I mean, many years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to start working with a female filmmaker every year. It was hard to find female filmmakers because women started in the industry, but they were being like excluded. And then they had to go find other jobs to support themselves and to support their families. Now we like, we are encouraging female filmmakers and they're being given an opportunity. So that's a big change. If you look at Sundance and Oscars and Cannes and Venice San Sebastian, you look at all these these places last year, a female filmmaker won the top film prize, which, I don't know, 10 years ago, a woman winning the top film prize would have been a huge story. The fact that all of like the major like festivals and award shows, a female filmmaker won the top prize for her film is amazing. And um, it's exciting to me. So yes, things are changing. Also, uh, being on a set and seeing more women in leadership positions in terms of, you know, as screenwriters, as producers, as directors, it changes everything. It changes the idea of what a female character is. It changes even love scenes, like something you don't even think about so much. But I was doing something the other day and our female producer said, well, wouldn't like in this scene, like for a woman, it would be like this and like talking it through. And you just think, wow, in the past, that was never even a part of the conversation. It was like a bunch of men would be in a room and, and dictate what the love scene between the man and woman should be. And no one would really even give a thought to that a woman also has her own sexual pleasure and desire. And um, what does that mean in the scene? Um, so a lot has changed and that makes me very happy. You know, as we see progress being made in certain areas, we see things being unraveled in others. And I know you've been a vocal supporter of Planned Parenthood. 
And yet now we're in a situation where Roe v. Wade may very well be overturned by the Supreme Court. And I'm curious if you are going to get involved in that, uh, in speaking out, because I know you've been such a fierce advocate for women. By the way, if you don't want to address this, we don't no, have to. No, I'm happy to. to talk about this. No, no, no. I, I'm very happy to talk about this. I I support Planned Parenthood. I pay them. I give them a donation every month. I, you know, they provided me with birth control pills when I was a teenager. And anyone who are, argument is, oh, you should just not have sex is living like in the dark ages. Because guess what? Women like sex. Sorry to tell you. Women like sex just as much as men do. And women also would like to ha go to college and have a life and a career and plan their families. Um, so Planned Parenthood absolutely gave me the tools to do that, um, you know, being able to have birth control pills. So I'm uh, an active supporter of that. I also believe that the morning after pill should be an easy thing for women um, around the United States to get. And I look at history and usually in cycles, usually when something negative happens, we can live in that energy in that vacuum. You know, there were a lot of women who were really disturbed when Donald Trump became president. That also was the year we had the Women's March. Then we had Me Too. Then we had all of these incredible things happen for women. So sometimes, you know, a negative thing does not happen in a vacuum. It, it creates a reaction. And what I believe a reaction should be is that there should be over-the-counter um, morning-after pills for women to get anywhere. There should also be over-the-counter medicine for women with UTIs. <laughs> There's, women's health should, needs to be more um, readily accessible all over the place in this country. And so I think that's something that needs a mass overhaul. But what about the right to an abortion if, in fact, that is necessary to terminate a pregnancy. I believe every woman has a right to her body, has a right to have an abortion, and I will absolutely continue um, funding and, and donating to Planned Parenthood. Well, I love talking to you. I love seeing you in so many different roles and in so many different movies and, and streaming series and scenes from a marriage and oh. everything that you're doing. Um, so I'm just so happy for you. And is there something that we can look forward to featuring Jessica Chastain in the future? Well, I'm currently doing um, a George Jones, Tammy Wynette miniseries right now um, with Michael Shannon, which I'm very happy about. And then um, I have a film I did with Eddie Redmayne called The Good Nurse, directed by Tobias Lindholm, uh, which I'm also very, very excited about. And that I think they're locking picture on. So that'll um, be coming out hopefully this year. Well, you're a busy woman and we're we're better off because <laughs> of it. Thanks, Jessica. Great to see Thanks, you Katie. again and, and we love you. Oh, thank you, Katie. I'm so happy. To, I love you. I'm so happy to talk to you. You can stream The Eyes of Tammy Faye right now on HBO Max. Thank you all so much for listening to our season debut. We've got some really exciting episodes ahead. Big names, big ideas, big conversations. So make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And if you haven't had enough of me in your ears, you can get more of me in your inbox every morning. 
doesn't that sound exciting? With my newsletter, Wake Up Call. Go to katiecouric.com to sign up. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.